Good morning, everybody. Hope everyone is doing well. That's me doing that. I'm Joe. I'm the pastoral intern here at Celebration, if you can't tell by the remote control car. When I was eight years old, I got my favorite Christmas present ever. It was a remote control Hummer. It was awesome. It looked kind of like this, had lightning bolts on it, flames. It was awesome. But since that time, it has been sold without my permission in a garage sale. So this will have to do. It's pretty similar, but it works. And I loved that remote control car. I would like ramp it off the stairs. Not going to do that. I would ramp it over my Beanie Babies, just to prove that I was still a boy, even though I had Beanie Babies. Um, And I would play with that thing all day. I remember one time there was this huge snowstorm and there was ice coating our entire driveway. And I would just like fly it down that driveway and then whip it around and it would fly off in snowbanks. It was awesome. But after a while, it would kind of lose its luster, had some other toys, had some other things that took my attention, and the batteries died. So instead of changing them like a normal person, I would just sit on the ground, forgetting that I had the remote, and I'd just play with it like this, with my hand. Jump it over the Hot Wheels, jump it over the Beanie Babies with my hand, instead of using the remote, which is what it's made for. And I realize now, looking back, that when I was playing with it like this, with my hand, that was kind of settling, right? I could have just changed the batteries and had an awesome remote control car again. But instead, I settled for something less than that. All the while, there was something more remote control car was made for something and made to be controlled with this remote rather than just me pushing it around with my hand. So as we think about sin a little bit this morning, continuing our series on sin, I realized that this is kind of how we think about sin, how we think about our life in Christ. Sometimes we settle for just being controlled and pushed around by sin, manipulated by it, influenced by it, when really there's something more that we're called to, something better that we're made for, just like this remote control car. I'm going to leave it there. That's pretty cool. So turn with me in your Bibles to Romans 7. Romans is a letter written by Paul the Apostle. And Paul, before he became a Christian, before he um, went around preaching the gospel, and if you have one of our church Bibles, I think this is on page 756. So if you have one of those. Um, Paul, before he became a Christian, he was a Jewish person. I guess he was that too after he became a Christian. But what he dedicated his life to was learning the law, the Old Testament Jewish law. He dedicated his life to it. It wasn't just his job. It was really what he was. It was his identity knowing the law. And that word there, law, is Torah. You may have heard that word before. Um, That's the Hebrew word for the first five books of the Bible, the, the rules that God gave to his people. And when we think about law, we kind of think of, oh, the Old Testament. Oh, law, the Ten Commandments, those things that I have to do, the things that I can't do, the rules, the consequences, the lists. But for an Israelite person, In ancient Israel, Torah also meant instruction. So this was a a gift from God. All the other nations didn't have a God who would even talk to them, let alone give them instruction on how to live. So that word there, Torah, can also mean instruction. 
So it was, a, it was a good thing for the people of Israel. A lot of times we associate law with, oh, we're not under law, don't worry about it, boo, law. But for the Israelite people, this Torah, this instruction was good for them. They loved it. And so Paul, before becoming a Christian, dedicated his life to knowing the Torah, knowing that instruction, knowing that law. And he did get a little bit legalistic about it. We, we know a lot of the story about how he would persecute the church because of, well, persecute Jewish people and um, the disciples of Jesus because they weren't following the law the way he thought it should be followed. But he still dedicated his life to it. He loved it. It was awesome to him. He wanted to know more about it. He wanted to know it extensively and exhaustively. There's a bunch of stories that rabbis tell that the Pharisees could roll up a scroll with the law on it and throw like dart things at it. And they could know what word the dart went through without even looking. That's how much they knew the Torah inside and out. Now, I don't know if that's true or if you could even know that. But the point of that is, like, they knew the law. They knew this instruction. They knew the Torah, and they loved it. It was their life. And Paul is a perfect example of that. So when we get to books like Romans and Romans chapter 7 and a lot of Paul's writings, we have to have that in the back of our mind. That he's coming at this, he's coming at this salvation thing, this being in Christ thing, with the law in the back of his mind. That was his whole experience. That's who he was before Christ. So a lot of the arguments he makes, a lot of the things he says are based in his experience in the law. So Romans chapter 7, let's read a little bit of it. Here, Paul is talking about his experience before Christ living under the law. The first verse there, we know that the law is spiritual, but I, that's Paul, am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. So right there, Paul says that the law is spiritual. It's a good thing. It's a blessed thing from God. But Paul says that he is unspiritual. Your translation may say, of the flesh. The idea there of the flesh, Paul's talking about the piece of you, the piece of us that is more likely to give in to sin, that's prone to give in to worldly desires. Now remember, this is Paul talking about before his conversion to Christianity. So this is before the gospel. He's thinking back to his interaction with the law. And he said he was sold as a slave to sin. His flesh was controlling him. And this is where it gets good. <laughs> Verse 15 I do not understand what I do. For I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do that. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law, that is good, as it is, I'm no longer, it's no longer myself who does it, but it's sin living in me. Pretty straightforward, right? Let's go on a little bit. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, that's what I keep doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I who does it, but it's sin living in me that does it. All right, class dismissed. Go enjoy the Super Bowl. No, this is dense, thick. Like, what is he saying? Why does he use so many of the same word over and over? It's confusing. I do do, I don't do. What should I do? I just said do do on stage. Wow, that's, gosh, I'm fired. But there's so many like interplays of the same word over and over and over again. And I want to look at this a little bit and try to explain what's going on here as we get into it. So this is Paul talking about his experience with the law before Christ, before the gospel. And he's talking about that he had the desire to do good. He had desire to do the, to do the law, to fulfill it, to actually do what it says, not just know it, but do what it said. He had that desire that was there, the will to do it. 
But even though he wanted to, he couldn't actually keep the law. So it seems like Paul is saying that the desire to keep the law should be enough to actually keep the law, but it's not. There's something else there influencing his decisions. So on one side, we have the desire to fulfill the law. So Paul wanted to keep the law. He wanted to do the good things in the law. He wanted to prove that he was a righteous, good person according to the law. But even though he wanted to and willed to and desired to, he couldn't. There's the inability to fulfill the law. So there's a, there's a distance there. He has the desire, but even though he has the desire, he can't actually fulfill the law. To put it in math terms for you people who love tax season, it's this. I don't know if you can see that, but that's an X. A variable. There's something else in the equation that's keeping him from actually fulfilling the law. So even though he wanted to, even though he had the desire, the will, the dedication to the law, he couldn't actually fulfill it in himself. And that distance there, that difference, that variable that was affecting him, Paul says it's sin living inside of him. Now, a lot of philosophers around the time of Paul kind of had this similar idea. This is Ovid. Looks very thoughtful, so you know he's legit. He was a famous poet, philosopher, a little bit before the time of Paul. But really, his teachings and his his thinking about the world and philosophy were really the foundation for a lot of Greek thought. He was kind of like the David Bowie of the first century. I'm fired again, probably, for saying David Bowie. But this is what he says. I see and approve the better course, but I follow the worse. So he has the same idea. Now, he's not talking about the Old Testament law. He's talking about being a virtuous Greek, a virtuous person. But he admits that even though he wants to do those things, he has the desire and the will to actually do good things. He does the opposite. So even though Paul's talking about this in terms of the law, even though Ovid's talking about this in terms of being a Greek virtuous person, there's still that human truth there that even though we want to do good, even though we want to be good, we always end up not doing that. We don't have the ability in ourselves to do that. And Ovid doesn't say anything else about it. He doesn't say, well, it's obviously sin. He doesn't really say anything. He just leaves it hanging. But Paul names that variable. It's sin. So the desire to fulfill the law plus sin equals the inability to fulfill the law. Are we all together here? Is that helpful? Think of it in terms of math. You don't have to think about it in terms of math. I don't even like math, but it kind of works. But we have that desire to do good. We want to do good. We even do good things sometimes. But there's sin that's the problem dwelling inside of us. And that keeps us from fulfilling the law or from even doing anything good. Paul goes on here, next few verses, verse 21. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For my inner being, I delight in God's law. I love it. But I see another law at work at me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner to the law of sin at work within me. So here, Paul's saying that it's not just a problem. Sin's not just this thing that gets in the way. We are slaves to sin before Christ. We're prisoners to sin in our own, in our own being. We're slaves to it. 
a lot of times people use this passage to talk about like the dual nature inside of us that's like warring against itself, like light and dark, and you have to let light win. A lot of people talk about that. Or like Pastor Jim brought up last week, the two wolves that are at war inside of you and whatever one you feed is the one that wins. So feed the good one so it wins. But that is not what Paul's talking about here. Paul's saying there is that war waging on, but in ourselves, we are completely helpless against it because sin will always win. We are constantly slaves to sin, under sin's control and under sin's power. It's pretty dark, painful stuff to think about. But remember, this is Paul talking about his experience before Christ. This is under the law, before he was in Christ, before salvation. He's talking about his state then, that he was a prisoner to sin. Even when he wanted to do good, he couldn't because sin was his ultimate master. It's pretty depressing, but it's real. Jump down to Romans chapter 8, verse 1 now. This is, the, this is the happy part that we rejoice in. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. So Paul talking about his experience before Christ, under the law, slave to sin, prisoner to sin, nothing he can do about it, unable to do anything good. But in Christ, we're set free from the law of sin and death. So Paul's looking back over his life and realizing that even the good things that he did under the law, um, even though he was a slave to sin, he still did good things, but ultimately those weren't actually good because sin is still that variable in the picture. Sin is still his master. So everything you do before Christ is ultimately to serve our master, sin. Now, being a slave in the first century was a legitimate occupational choice. You could be a servant and get compensated for it, and that could be your livelihood. And if we're slaves to sin before Christ, our compensation is death. The things that we do under the law of sin earns us death. So this is a very final, very painful, very real slavery to sin before Christ destitute, nothing, nothing we can do in ourselves. We needed someone to fulfill that for us, which is Christ. So if you are here this morning and you have been saved and experienced that freedom in Christ, we have to change our mindsets a little bit. A lot of times we think, oh, well, I'm saved. Okay, everything's better now. I don't have to really worry about sin. I still have some things, but like, I'll work on it. I'll work on it. But when you get saved, you don't get super Christian Jedi powers. You don't suddenly know everything about being a Christian. You don't suddenly get rid of all of your sins. There's still those habits, those rituals that we form before Christ. Even if you were saved at an early age, there's still those fundamental things, and we can see this in Nora sometimes, that we're just selfish. When we're prisoners under sin, we're selfish. And if you don't deal with those things immediately, if you don't recognize those things immediately, they build into habits. And habits become rituals. And rituals become addictions. Those rituals become how we react to certain situations. But in Christ, since we're set free from that, we have no obligation, no legal obligation. No res- we don't have to respond to sin as a slave. 
We're set free. Christ is now our master. A lot of times we think we, well, I mean, I know I'm a Christian, but I'm going to sin, and that's the way it is. That's partly true because we will stumble, we will fall, but we don't have to do that. There's no obligation to sin. Legally, we're not under sin's leadership. We're under Christ's leadership. So what does that mean for us specifically? Well, Christ calls us to a new normal. A lot of those sins that take place before Christ linger, and those become just how we normally react to situations. A lot of the sins that we experience, a lot of the things that are really in our hearts without us even knowing, are just how we respond to situations, just naturally, normally. And those are built up over a long period of time. So if you think about anger or jealousy or envy, those are all responses to our life circumstances. Oh, man. That guy got a new car. I wish I had a new car. That quick. And that's built up over a long period of time. I have to take out the trash. This is from my experience. Why do I have to take out the trash? Why doesn't she just take out the trash? That's built up over a long period of selfishness. Over and over and over again as we respond to life out of sin. When Kaylee and I got married... Uh, my whole growing up life, I never really had to do laundry. I never really wanted to do laundry. Um, My mom would usually just do it, and I know that's not good, but my mom would just do my laundry without me even having to think about it. And even in college, I would go, hi, Nora. (laughs) Even in college, I would go months without doing my laundry, and it would build up, and then I'd just go home, and my mom would do it. That's just the way it was. That was normal for me, just putting it off. Someone else would do it eventually. But then when we got married, I realized pretty quick when Kaylee said, are you going to do laundry ever? I'm like, oh, well, maybe I probably should do laundry. Oh, I didn't even think about that. But it's a new normal. There's been a huge change, and we have to adjust to that. Christ sets us free to that new normal way of life. I know this has been kind of vague, like, okay, yeah, new normal. What does that mean? Well, turn with me to Galatians chapter 5 now. Galatians chapter 5, I think it's page 812 in those Bibles. Yep, 812 if you're using one of our church Bibles here. Galatians chapter 5, this is another letter written by Paul where he discusses his life with the law and in relation to the law and how the gospel is better than living under the law. And here in verse 19 of Galatians 5, Paul lays it out pretty clearly what the acts of the flesh are, those things that we're still drawn to, those habits that we still have even after Christ sets us free. The acts of the flesh are obvious, obviously. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So Paul's talking about those those fleshly desires, the the part of us that is more prone to give in to worldly desires. These are the acts that represent that. And we always think of the big ones when we think about sins and addictions and the control of sin in our life. We think of sexual immorality, gambling, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, oh, Harry Potter, how dare you? But we don't ever instantly think of the the smaller, subtle things like hatred, jealousy, fits of rage or anger. 
selfish ambition, factions, envy. We don't normally think of those as like major sins, but here Paul's saying those are all acts of the flesh and they're all bad. And those are all hanging on. Even though you're, you're free in Christ, you still have those desires. You still have the choice to go back to sin. Earlier in this letter, Paul says that even though you're free in Christ, don't use that as an opportunity to just indulge the flesh. So we're free to do good, but we're also free to go back to those things if we want to. And Paul says, these are those. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Let's go on a little bit here. So those are the bad things. Those are the acts of the flesh that we're supposed to stay away from. But Paul says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against those things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. So Paul's saying here that when we're free in Christ, the proof of that, the fruit of that is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, the things that stand directly in contrast to the acts of the flesh. But we have to choose them. These don't just come naturally by, oh, I'm a Christian. Man, I'm so loving now. Nope, well, that was pretty selfish. You just said that. These don't just come naturally. We have to work at them. We have to choose to keep in step with the Spirit. Just like when I was just playing with the car with my hand, it's like any other Hot Wheels car. We're really called to something bigger than that, something better, something that we're made for. And that's life in the Spirit. It's interesting that Paul says in verse 24 that those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh. Crucifixion is a pretty final thing. It was the way Rome told its enemies that we have ultimate power over this. There's nothing anyone can do once we crucify someone. And we know that Jesus came back from the dead after crucifixion. So he's really the one that says, actually, you have nothing you can do to me because I beat that. But we have crucified our flesh with Jesus' death on the cross. We don't have to live under, under these things the selfishness, the ambition, the lust, the lying, those things that we hate ourselves for doing. We don't have to live under those. We're not slaves to that. We're not servants to that. Our compensation isn't death anymore. Life in the Spirit says this is what I've made you for, to love, to have joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's what we're called to now. And that's what makes us different from the world. If we're in Christ, this is the way we live differently. But just like we can't get out of sin on our own, we can't just learn those things. We have to ask God for them. A lot of times we think that God is still just up in heaven counting things against us. Oh, he's still lying. Oh, oh he still looked at that website. Oof. Oh, he's still, oh, he said that, oh man. But that's not how God works. 
God is for us. He wants these things for us. He designed these things for us. This is is what it means to be a Christian, is to, to have this fruit, to love, to be joyful. And we have a reason to be those things because our flesh is crucified. There's nothing that sin can do against us. We're not slaves to it anymore. We're slaves to Jesus. We're slaves to righteousness. And he frees us up to actually have these things. But this is where it gets difficult too because we don't like seeing sin in our lives. We don't like realizing that we're still sinful. We don't like that we still have habits from before Christ. Or just, eh, whatever. I don't need to worry about those. But Paul's saying you have to realize that those are crucified and you have to actively crucify them. You have to put them to death and let these things grow in you. A lot of times we leave God out of the picture. We leave the spirit out of the picture. But we realize that we're indwelt with the spirit. He empowers us to do these good things. God wants these things for us. So one of the major ways to make these things actually happen, to start living this way, is to pray for it. Ask God to teach us to be loving and joyful. Ask God to let the Spirit live through us. But also, ask God to reveal those desires that we still have. Those acts of the flesh that are still hanging on, that are still calling to us, that we still sometimes walk back over and say, yeah, I'm in, I want this. Instead of saying, no, I'm free from that. I'm free from all of that. So one, ask God for these things, but then also practice. Practice love. Practice having joy. Practice peace and patience and kindness. That's how we grow them. When you work out or when you want to get stronger, you don't just not work out. You actually have to practice the things to make yourself better and stronger. You have to practice love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So it can replace those old reactions, those old snap reactions like, how dare she? The new normal has to be, I love her. How do I respond out of love? How do I put myself in her position? Think about what she's going through. One of my favorite examples of this is, a lot of times when I was in college, I would go to the grocery store and we would get like pizza or pizza rolls or flaming Hot Cheetos or something. And we'd go at like midnight because that's what you do in college. And there'd be people there, parents with their children getting groceries. And you think, what? They should totally be in bed. Why are those parents up with their kids? That's ridiculous. Who do they think they are? That was your snap reaction. But love says well, maybe they're in a different situation than I am. Maybe they couldn't go until later at night. Maybe they work second shift. I don't know that situation intimately, so I can't judge it that way. But love says, that doesn't matter. It's not up to me to judge that. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control are all things that we have to learn over time as we rewrite the old habits from our old slavery to sin life. and Realize that freedom in Christ empowers us and frees us up to live this way. And this is hard. This is difficult. It's painful. 
It's painful as we, we pray to have God reveal things to us that we need to change. It's painful to see them and to look at them and call them what they are. But it's freeing to say, I don't have to do that anymore. I'm not under that control. And God is faithful and just to forgive us, right? Do we believe that? We should. God wants to forgive us. God wants us to give us these, these things, the fruit of the Spirit. He wants that for us. So as you go out from here and you start realizing different parts of us that are still hanging on, confess those things. Know that God forgives them. And stop doing them. But start practicing love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. God wants those for us. And we're called to a better life than just being enslaved to sin. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the freedom that we have in Christ. Thank you that we can look at sin and say, I am not enslaved to that. It's not my master anymore. But thank you that we're freed up to love one another and to do good things that actually matter. Empower us to see parts of our lives that we need to give back to you. And then give us strength to love one another even when it hurts. We're so thankful that you have chosen us to be part of your family. Help us to live that way. Be with us as we go from here, as we go back to normal life and and start interacting and having to react to situations. Help us to think of how the Spirit would react to those. Not our sinful flesh, not our master sin, our former master sin, but our, our real master and our King, Jesus. We love you so much, and we're grateful and thankful. In your name we pray, amen. Grace be with you.